Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. It's been a while since we've done a news episode, but, uh, well, you have to catch up on some things right now. The biggest issue here being that uh, very little can be found from news in Ukraine. The journalists are just not allowed at the front lines anymore, and we can't get much reports and everything that I can get through my channels also is just unsupported, to say, to say the least. It's just that um, hard to get, hard to get reliable data. So what we have is uh, sometimes a bit strange, but it's, it's a lot of important stuff too happening here. So I'm going to have to pick everything up together from what we know. First of all, Ukraine has exchanged its defense minister. Oleksiy Reznikov submitted his resignation after Volodymyr Zelensky announced his decision to replace Reznikov with Rustem Umerov, who used to be the chairman of Ukraine's state property fund. Now, unlike in Russia, where Shoigu, the minister of defense of that country, directly takes control of the military, in Ukraine it's a bit different. In Ukraine it's still like generals controlling everything. It's just the defense minister is a paper pusher thing. Zelensky said, quote, I believe that the defense ministry needs new approaches and other formats of interaction with both the military and society at large. Now, Rustem Umerov should lead the ministry. Reznikov, who had headed the defense ministry since November 2021, shared a photo of his resignation letter in a tweet. Quote, it was an honor to serve the Ukrainian people and work for the Ukrainian army for the last 22 months, the toughest period of Ukraine's modern history. And, uh, yeah, Umerov, on the other hand, the new minister of defense, resigned from his post as state property fund chairman on Monday. Ukrainian politician and businessman of Crimean Tatar origin, 41-year-old Umerov, was a founder of Crimean Tatar's fellowship and an advisor to longtime Crimean Tatar leader Mustafa Jemilev. Umerov served as a lawmaker in the Holos party from 2019 to 2022, and they became chairman of this state property fund. Following the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Umerov was part of the Ukrainian delegation that conducted several rounds of negotiations with Russia in Belarus and Turkey. He was involved in brokering prisoner exchanges as well as the Black Sea grain deal, which was later terminated by Russia. And we'll get to that grain deal as well, because Erdogan isn't there. Now, this replacement is the biggest shakeup in Ukraine's government since the start of, well, this whole invasion, as New York Times writes. The reshuffle comes after the defense ministry was hit by a lot of corruption scandals in recent months and as the Ukrainian counteroffensive is entering a decisive phase. Now, this has been rumored a lot and everything, but, uh, yeah, weird to see this, but they're just checking out on their corruption. Reznik, on the other hand, could, might as, could, could as well be appointed as an ambassador to London so far. And this was, again, rumored all over the place, but, again, just rumors. However, about the, the grain deal. Yeah, Erdogan managed to go and talk to Putin for a bit. All the Russian press was already yelling about how Erdogan's come to bend the knee to Putin and all that whatnot. But they didn't really end up agreeing to anything. So that's the most interesting part. I wonder what they did agree with. Because, you know, every such conversational issue is something that um, has either been agreed beforehand or just, you know it wouldn't exist. At such a high level where Erdogan personally goes and visits Moscow, I don't really think that was just about the grain deal. Because think about it. Why would Erdogan himself personally go there? I Sure, Erdogan profited from the grain deal, yes, but I don't think he would have gone there personally to do these things unless there was a, some, some sort of pressing, urgent need. And, you know, might be mistaken here, but I, I think that we, we will see something else something else coming from the closed doors. 
of course, Turkey and Russia has promised one million tons of grain, but the end is kind of nothing. So that's a bit awkward. At the same time, Russian forces attacked the city of Kostyanivka in Donetsk region, and they killed at least 16 people, including one child. Apparently, they struck the market in, uh, in broad daylight. According to Khromadske, the regional administration said 31 people were injured. The attacks really happened in broad daylight and they struck the local market. That was the most tragical things in the past few news. I'm just trying to organize these things in a matter of importance because uh, some of you actually somehow do not listen to this show until the end. So, sorry about that. But one thing that we can confirm is that, uh, yeah, Robotnaya has actually been captured by Ukrainian forces and now, you know, the debate is, is it the first sort of Ekin line? Is it the second sort of Ekin line? You can't really tell. The Russian-appointed head of the occupying administration of the Zaporozhye region, Yevgeny Balitsky, said in a television interview that the retreat of Russian troops from the village of Robotny was a tactical move. Quote, The Russian army withdrew, tactically withdrew, from this settlement because holding on to a bare surface when there is no possibility to completely dig in doesn't really seem like a viable option. That's why the Russian army withdrew to the hills, RBK cites Balitsky as saying. He also stated that Robotny is a population settlement that only exists on a map. According to Batlitsky, the Russian troops have taken up the dominant heights near Robotny with the Ukrainian forces positioned below, which apparently suits the Russian army. Now, of course, you have to remember that, uh, well, previously there are statements about what suits their army and what doesn't uh, has also been very twisted, especially when it comes to Kherson and tactical withdrawals from all over the place. So, you know, who knows? Meanwhile, we also have a perpetrated leaked mobilization order, which calls for 200,000 new Russian conscripts. Government officials denounce it as fake, but, uh, you know, if they denounce something as super fake, it might as well be very, very real. This, uh, this was spotted on Telegram, and was apparently signed by Sergei Shoigu. The Ukrainian news agency Unian has published a photo on its Telegram channel with the headline, Reindeer Herder Shoigu ordered to mobilize 200,000 more stags by November the 1st for the war against Ukraine. According to the Russian news channel Sota, a number of Ukrainian outlets have reposted this uh, order. Meanwhile, the Russian authorities insist that the order is just fake news. The uh, regional government of Buryatia called the document a fabrication. Chelyabinsk military commissar Andrei Maksurov says that no such order exists. And Defense Ministry spokesman Andrei Karapol Kar Kartapolov also claims the order is fake and has nothing to do with reality. In a comment for TASS, Karatpolov added that Russia has no need for additional mobilization since the military is effectively meeting its needs by actively recruiting contact soldiers. Contract soldiers, that is. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing about the contract soldiers. They claim that they have signed new contracts with a lot of people. A lot of them. And they, they point it out as massive success. However, I have reasons not to believe this information. For two reasons, which are both reported by, well, at this point, my new best enemy, Maxim Kalashnikov, and all his contacts from... Uh, well, whatever mess happened with the Club of Angry Patriots, which is now split over, thinking about what, what was the reason of Girkin announcing his presidential bid. First of all, it is wildly known that uh, Russia is experiencing insane amounts of, of difficulties, especially with manpower. They have pushed everything to the front to defend against Ukrainian counterattack. Well, I just not really a counterattack, it's just an attack. But they lack they lack everything in 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 the in the, in the back of of their systems. You see, they don't have enough troops to guard units, guard military warehouses, and do a lot of things that they ought to be doing. 
And everyone keeps telling me from all sorts of sources that mobilization in Russia is inevitable, and I tend to agree with this. Now, these so-called new contract soldiers, yeah, for the most part, that's the problem. About 80% of them were already fighting in the front lines. It's just that they're no longer just mobilized, they have switched to contract services, or ex-Wagner group soldiers who also were there switched to contract services. It's just that Technically, Russia has these new contracted troops. However, in reality, the number is very low and does not even, you know, fix all the gaps uh, that they have in their front lines. The thing is that they just changed it to put it all under one umbrella and to just focus on, you know, getting them all under single management. Of course, a lot of trouble continue with the logistics and everything in the Russian army. But uh, after after uh, the murder of Prigozhin and after Girkin has been arrested... A lot of these war corps that used to be so-called war correspondents, that is, who used to be very aggressive and criticized the Russian army for all their mishaps, even though they were pro-war. Yeah, they're mostly shutting up right now because a lot of them have been getting into trouble and, you know, haven't been beaten over the head for their stupidity. Meanwhile, by the way, Russian opposition uh, continues to argue about what they're going to do with the new beautiful Russia. They're into debates. Maxim Katz, one of the guys that I listened to, also approached them. But there is real problems. And I have to answer some, some questions here about this, about the fact that how they need more soldiers and why everything is going like it is going, because I think uh, there's a, a little tiny issue that the Western people kind of don't really understand. You see, remem- remember that everyone kept telling you that Russia is going to win in three days, right, of the early war. The fact that Russia has all these problems and that right now they are just being happy for the fact that Ukraine's, Ukraine is not taking major cities in a single day, yeah, that's that's the reason why. I mean... They do have insane numerical superiority. They have a lot more things. All these things that existed on paper, to some extent, still exist, except that there's this massive amount of corruption, massive amount of issues in the Russian army, which is why Ukraine hasn't fallen. The situation that we have now is what you would get with the whole thing where you have a massive amount of troops and tanks and everything, and the army is massively incompetent. And again, this goes against all the source books of, of assaults, right? It's a miracle that everything's happening because in some directions, currently, Ukraine is actually scoring less casualties than the Russians are. And they're attacking. This is not normal. In every military guidebook ever, you'll be told that uh, the attacker needs a 3 to 1 advantage and that the attacker always takes more casualties than the defender. And that would make perfect sense. But right now, the Russian army is just so demoralized and things are so bad with them that they take equal and in some some regions even greater casualties than Ukrainians do. The problem here is that Russians still have a lot more of, well, stuff, especially when it comes to air. But they are already experiencing these um, these damages in vehicles and, and manpower and everything because they've thrown everything to the front lines. And the thing is, if this continues, then a Russian army is going to at one point collapse because, you know, there's this... Uh, sort of spherical line if you look at some military charts about how you how easily can you lose combat readiness and combat ability and russia is close to that in many many cases except that they had a lot of time to prepare these defenses which are still working and just because they're not running away just because of their seeing ukrainians because of multiple different threats it does not mean that ukrainian counterattack is failing it just means that they are actually succeeding because they're moving forward in a lot of these positions. You shouldn't really underestimate things. If the Western countries would have given Ukraine what they needed at the time when they needed it the most, then the situation would be vastly different, of course. 
But it didn't happen, so we have the situation that we have. But meanwhile, back to the news. Putin and his eternal wisdom managed to put out an insane, an insane speech once again. He said in an interview with Russian propagandist Pavel Zarubin on Tuesday that, quote, Western managers put an ethnic Jew in charge of Ukraine in order to cover up the anti-human nature of modern Ukraine. Quote, this makes for an extremely disgusting situation in which an ethnic Jew is covering up the glorification of Nazism and those who led the Holocaust in Ukraine, which brought the destruction of millions of people, said the Russian president. And ordinary citizens of Israel understand this better than anyone. Take a look at what they're saying on the internet, end quote. Ukrainian Foreign Ministry Representative Oleg Nikolenko later commented on Putin's statements, writing on Facebook, quote, Putin's chronic fixation on the Ukrainian president's ethnic background is, another, is, a, is just another manifestation of the anti-Semitism that is deeply rooted among the Russian elites. We call on the world to strongly condemn the Russian president's anti-Semitic comments. In the modern world, there should not be any place for hatred on ethnic grounds. But, you know, Putin just following the brave Soviet tradition, because the Soviet Union was, well, extremely anti-Semitic, and you can find that out if you just listen to some of my older episodes. And this uh, somewhat concludes the most important part of the episode. However, I still have some interesting news for you. You remember that uh, MA-8 helicopter in August, which, uh, which basically defected to Ukraine, and there had a lot of issues? Yeah, that guy has given some interviews out there. And the most interesting part is the fact that the, the pilot gave an open interview. The, the, he was introduced in the movie as Maxim Kuzminov from the Russian Air Force's 319th Regiment, the, the helicopter regiment, he said that he, first of all, chose to defect because he opposes Russia's invasion of Ukraine, did not want to take part of it, which makes sense. But then two other moments happened. He, of course, spoke how Ukraine actually doesn't have any Nazis, but we all know that at this point. What we didn't know is that apparently everyone, because of very stupid decisions by the generals, out there is forced to watch Putin's speeches all the time, and there, you know, a lot of political work is being put on. And this, by the way, was a statement that was publicized by uh, Moors, one of these other guys. It was kind of similar to this, because currently Russia is employing, employing a lot of political commissars in their units. And they, they don't even know what to do because they are like literally forcing the soldiers up in the front to kind of glue, glue posters with Putin's news and propaganda on the trees, even though, well, they're being artillery shelled. But the most outrageous thing that this pilot said was that uh, in case of whatever... They um, they had to move one of their officers' cats to the front line, just a regular, you know, some some special cat with a you know one of those specific breeds or whatever. And they took up two helicopters with full crews on them to transport the cat from Rostov na Donu, nearby the Russian border. At this point, everyone knows where Rostov is to the to the special military operation zone, right? And uh, it one of them one of them was Mi eight, one of them one of them was Mi fifteen. And just in case, you know, to protect the very important cat. I mean, resources wasted is, uh, of course, a bit of an understatement here. But that's what, that's what happens. That's what happens when, um, you know, your corruption is total. But again, do not think that this just means that the Russian troops are going to totally blow up instantly. It just means that we are in the position where we are because of this situation. And finally, I wanted to uh, touch upon something that happened to me, um, I think it was a week ago, maybe a bit more. Look, I work so hard, sometimes the days fall over. Well, what happened was that I managed to get into a nice little chat with some of my um, very legitimate businessmen friends. And, uh, well, I'll have to put this very carefully, very, very, very carefully, okay? So 
I managed to chat with them and they said in a request that I was not exactly able to um, counter. And, uh, well, it's one of those things that you, you can't just say no to some people in some cases, right? And then they invited me to take a look over uh, over some weapons deal which they were supposed to be guarding, but they found this suspicious and they thought, you know, it was very useful for me to be there. Um, yeah, and it ended up with some people getting arrested uh, next day. Um, that's about it. Apparently, that that's, that that was one of the things, and they're involving involved with other things. But apparently, Wagner Group had tried to recruit here in Latvia, among other weapons deal things that was going on. It was a bit of a mess. But uh, yeah, this is the reason why in my Discord, uh, everyone got worried, and why we did a little reconstructure over there. But uh, you know. You get into some legitimate businessmen and they say, oh, Kristaps, we're going to guard this thing and we don't want to get into trouble, but you're not one of us. You can just go and, um, you know, maybe report after this and do some things. And, uh, well, uh, let's just say I did. I did what I could. And really happy things turned out as, as they did. And let me tell you, I'm really, really glad that our state, state security service and other services work um, diligently, very effectively, so to speak. Um. All, all of this is, of course, uh, super allegedly, and I can't really get into many, many more details. But uh, you know, kind of had to be, had to be done. And I just, this is the, this is about as much as I can give you right now. Also, uh, Victor, Victor, our friend, uh, has published a video on his YouTube channel. It's either that or the uh, search for Victor Nordland, and you'll find it. It's going to be great on YouTube. He's published the video about how the bombed uh, Odessa Cathedral looks like. That's very important for you to see, I think. It's just six minutes long. It's a really nice journalism video, and I think really he really deserves the views. If, 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 I mean, everyone on the Discord already has has looked at this, and Discord links are all, all over the place. If you can't find the link to our Discord, by the way, you can just email us, and uh, I'll, of course, answer you. So it's a lot of mess happening. The worst part is that I really can't get any any massive confirmations from the Ukrainian side because, again, they're becoming more and more mum, and you can't, you can't focus and... and give you, I can't really focus and give you stuff that I really don't know, that I can't really confirm, because I've made some mistakes in the past, and this is really not the time to be kind of, you know, not careful about the information that I give you. But to end up this episode, I uh, basically just got some interesting news from Russian Agriculture Minister Dmitry Patrushev at a meeting of the Committees on Control and Agrarian Issues of the State Duma, reported by TASS. Quote, the, the problem with the fuel supply to agricultural enterprises has sharply aggravated in the last week, and by now we can talk about the looming disaster, stopping the harvesting campaign and sowing of winter crops. According to the head of Ministry of Agriculture, not so long ago it was about problems with fuel prices and about somehow selling diesel fuel to agrarians cheaper, but now the issue is that it should be at least at some price. The department has to manually work with oil refineries in each region and find fuel for the companies. Quote, the problem with fuel is a screaming one. It must be dealt with by everyone, the minister emphasized. He proposed to completely stop the export of oil products until the situation stabilizes, although he noted that this is not an initiative, but his thoughts allowed. In turn, First Deputy Energy Minister Pavel Sorokin said that the work with the Ministry of Agriculture is carried out on a daily basis in terms of bringing the necessary volumes to agricultural consumers, Interfax notes. The official added that the Ministry of Agriculture has stated the need for 500,000 tons of fuel to complete field work, and this issue is being worked out with oil companies. So, you know, even Russia 
who's now selling off its oil to India and everywhere else, yeah, they, they don't even have enough to give to their own uh, people who work their fields. And about India, yeah, it's paying in rupees, and rupee is not even a convertible currency, which means that you can't take it out of the country and you can't bring it in the country. You kind of have to ask for permission, so normally once it. So Russia's profits on paper from sales of India um, might not be as great as people tend to imagine, which is always a fun thing to notice. But yeah, that's, uh, that's about it for today. I'll be back with more news, more interviews, more interesting things happening on the show. I expect some pictures and everything as, as soon as I fix up my drone once again. And please, please, if you enjoyed the show, consider becoming our patron on patreon.com slash the eastern border or just click the donate button on the eastern border.lv. That really helps the show because, again, I have to pay on that day. I have to, my bills to pay. I have a lot of things to do and, you know, trying to make ends meet and making this show for you guys as best as I can. And extremely huge thanks for everyone who already is our patron. It's very important to us, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be here without you. So once again, extremely thankful for all the, all that you do and everything. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to check the Discord links, but they're in the previous episodes as well. I think I've posted them all over the place. So again, if you can't find it, please just email us and message us, and we'll deal with the situation. And uh, yeah, as always, до свидания, товарищи. And remember, happiness is mandatory.